0: Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the weekly podcast that explores the nooks and crannies of living in a body. Sometimes it's the two of us having a casual conversation through the filter of that day's topic, and other times we have special guests who add their voices to the chat. We are yoga educators and body workers with decades of experience as practitioners and teachers. It is with reverence and joy that we choose to take these conversations off the mat and into the microphone.
1: Our aim is to understand the human experience through the stories our bodies hold and the stories they tell. Since having a body is the one thing we all have in common, it seems like a good place to start. We are your hosts. I am Teresa Tobin-Macy. And I'm Sherry Sadoff-Hank. Join us on this journey of discovery as we sleuth our way to the connections of our individual tales to the collective experience of being alive. Welcome to, and we appreciate you being here to be a part of this, you are One of our practices, Sherry and I spend time talking with each other about what it is, what our takeaways are, what we can bring to you. So as we move on, thank you first of all for being here and showing back up again. But as we talk through this episode, just notice if your practices and your rituals begin to have little light bulbs that are what illuminating some of your older practices or newer practices, or just highlighting what parts of your life you have intention.
0: Yeah, I mean, because you might not even consider some of these things you do as practices. They may just be something that you do, you know, uh, traditionally, you know, and then hopefully when you listen, you'll be able to identify those things that are actually serving you. So, what is practice? you know we practice law we practice medicine we practice yoga you know if you play an instrument i hope you're practicing you know that's the only way you're going to get to carnegie hall right <laughs> so you know this idea of practice also has movement to it there's a sense of of moving and i know in the yoga world we we talk sometimes you don't it's not about the goal it's about the journey and that is absolutely true and I think it's okay to set goals. It's okay to want to progress in the things that we're doing. You know, if, if I'm sitting in meditation for 30 years and it feels exactly the same at the end of 30 years as it does it from the first one, then I'm wondering what the point was. <laughs> you know, why was I sitting there? What, was, what, what did I want to get out of it? And so our practices allow us to be intentional about the things that we want to bring into our lives but they also depending on what types of practices we bring in are there for us if we're practicing with regularity we don't have to wait until an acute moment we don't have to wait until we're feeling fear or, or um, pain to bring it in and to start practicing, that's a hard place to start a practice. But if we practice with the daily repetition, and yes, it can get boring, it can be boring, and so we work with the boredom. But if we can work with it in the regular everyday experience, then when we really need them, we go into our little bat utility belts, we pull out, Ah, oh, today I need to breathe differently or I need to move in a different way, and we're ready. Yeah. And, you know, when
1: you talked about setting those goals of progression, again, a number of light bulbs went off. Um, Yeah. Because that conversation came around to, you know, these practices and wanting to progress are in preparation of when we need those practices. So we have something to lean into that they are a Pattern, which we've talked about already, but it also reminded me that with everything that has a progression There's also times where we want to have a regression and when you said pain I realized that oftentimes when I'm teaching mat work um, in yoga or even Meditation or breath work that sometimes I'm asking people to back out you know to find those first edges that Yes, we do all want to progress to the next level. We want to go a little bit deeper into that practice. But sometimes life is asking us to maybe come out of it a little bit, to do a softer version of an asana or a movement practice, to move a little bit more slowly or a little bit more mindfully, to find out where that pain begins. So progressions are great. But recognizing and being mindful of the times that we want a regression um,
0: is also something that you may not consider as a practice. And I will suggest that the awareness of knowing when to regress is about progression. Because Mm -hmm. it's not about achieving the goal, it's about the journey toward that. So if regression is what your body needs, that is part of the progress but so the semantics can be interesting and not to think that when you ask yourself to slow down we don't want to regress our our movement forward so by understanding that we need to do something simpler we're actually giving ourselves the pathway to progress yeah
1: yes you know i teach this a lot in my gentle classes and my fascia inspired classes that healing begins at that first edge. You've probably heard me say, I'm sure I've said this at some point in time in the, in the uh, podcast before, we wanna listen to the whispers so we don't have to hear them scream. And so I have a practice of listening to the whispers, noticing when something's a little sore. I believe healing happens or begins to happen at the first edge, mm-hmm. at that first whisper. And like you said, when we can identify that and work with it, that's where the progression happens. Um, We see it, we identify it, we work with it, and then we move deeper in to the next level.
0: A practice I would love to to get better at, to be more proficient in, is understanding the language of those edges. (laughs) You know, I have for very many months, I've had a very tiny little whisper in my right shoulder, and thankfully it has not gotten worse it's not screaming it has remained a very small whisper and i've been doing the things that i know you know therapeutically to do with it i've been kind of playing with it but i don't really know what it's telling me you know that our body when when it's talking to us is talking to us in a language that we don't always know how to interpret i say we but i really mean i mm-hmm. <laughs> but maybe you can maybe you also Um, So when I hear those whispers and I know that it's happening at that edge and I know that it's telling me something, sometimes I get frustrated that I don't know how to approach it. I don't know how to respond to that whisper. Um, I'll be like, hey, shoulder, how you doing today? You know, and I'm actually turning my head and looking at my shoulder right now. And I wait, I wait for the messages. And so, you know, sometimes the practices we bring in are just about being open to hearing what is coming in. Now, like I said, I'm not fluent in this language yet, and I've been practicing for a lot of years, but I will say, I've gotten a little bit better. Like I know a little bit more. And so, right for me, that has to be enough. It has to be enough to to show that the practices are doing what they're meant to do, and I'm progressing in the time frame that I am meant to progress. Yeah,
1: there's so much work we can do around those edges. It brought me right back to season one and the koshas. Mm -hmm. You know, when I find that edge and we're, I'm going to say, in a movement practice, and I start to move and I'm like, oh, what's going on right there? Talking to your shoulder, like you said. I've developed a practice and I like to teach a practice of when I find that edge or when people I'm working with find that edge to go through that in my head, is this physical? Did it take my breath away? Did my brain start to get all chattery? Is this like a mental or an emotional blockage? Mm -hmm. And to sit with it and I, too, talk to my body hi hamstrings I hear you yes I know I know it's not I'm I'm as deep as I can go into this forward fold but there are many movements that I make and I'll notice that the first thing that happens when I notice that edge is it takes my breath away it's like and I wonder oh let me sit with my breath what what breath pattern came when it took my breath away. When, when I say I, hit, I come to an edge and it took my breath away, I often say, hmm, I wonder what emotion is living at this edge in my body? Or if my brain starts to come into stories and chatter and it gets really active, well, what's that that's living at this site? So I often look at those edges in my body, my physical, tangible kosha, as the thing that I can underst- I can feel quickly, mm-hmm. but the rest of them being much more subtle, yeah. taking that time to rest at the edge like you are. And wait, see if there is a message. Some days there are. Some days it's just like might hmm, might be time to move on now we'll come and back tomorrow.
0: The messages are conflated. You know, when you said take my breath away, you took a deep inhale. <gasps> like that was like but there was no exhale. So that was, you know, the way that we we frame these things. Like so you took it all in and what is not being released. Uh, and sometimes they're so subtle that I just, I miss it. You know, I, I'm a little bit more gross than I am subtle. <laughs> um, so it's I miss the messages often. And then sometimes it's like I'm, I have a tightness in my chest and my mind is going and I have a pain in my body and my energy is a certain way. So all of the koshas are kind of talking to each other, sometimes screaming at each other. And it's hard for me to parse out which level or which edge I'm meant to be addressing or responding to. And so I sit in meditation because that is, for me, that's the catch-all. That's my daily practice. That is the thing that allows me to find relative stillness and relative silence, um, which is the word relative I I need to use um, because I don't think there's any absolute in any of these. And so, you know, this kind of circles back to this idea of like, how do we create these practices, bring them into our lives in a way that we can set ourselves up to, I'm gonna use the loose quotes again, to succeed. What does succeed mean? It just means to show up in this situation. Mm -hmm. What do I need to do in order to show up in my life consciously and do these things with regularity? And I use regularity instead of daily because daily puts too much pressure on me. I'm like, dude, if you tell me (laughs) to do something every day, the rebel in me is gonna be like, oh, no, I gotta take today off. So I give myself that space to have a day or two to maybe implement a different practice. Maybe it's become so ritualized that I need to move into something else. There is rarely a day that goes by though that does not include a practice. Is that a double negative? That means every day there is usually something I'm doing that is practice oriented.
1: I think that's really an important point because you and I have been practicing many (laughs) things for years, but I feel like it's really a transition that I made to notice how my practices um, shuffle into my daily life and to take those moments to notice that a practice doesn't always mean that I'm going to a mat or I'm going to a walk or I'm doing a mantra practice. It could mean that my practice is, you know, making dinner or taking a bath or being online at the food store knowing that I'm in a hurry and there's 10 people in front of me and saying, I'm going to feel my feet on the floor. I'm grounded. I'm present. And I can just lengthen my exhale, slow it down and realize that I'm not moving the line any faster ahead (laughs) by being anxious in this moment. So integrating that practice into something that's as mundane as food shopping is I think the importance of um, one of our takeaways for this episode is how do we use our practices in ways that are accessible and also have um, specific daily practice or regular practices right so there's both there's things that are blended in and then there are things that we do almost ritualistically or as often as possible.
0: And remembering that the people who offer practices to us, the more formal traditional ones, are passing them to you. So I'm thinking passing, Passover, the whole story mm-hmm. about that, this idea of, of changing that ritual um, over time to suit our lifestyle, who we are in today. And I remember teachers um, early on in my meditation practice saying, you never want to practice on your bed, in your bedroom. Don't ever do that. Well, the rebel in me, well, whatever. For years and years, my practice was inconsistent because I felt like I needed to practice at the same time in the same place every day. And that was just not fitting my lifestyle or who I am intrinsically. So this, and also like I had to create a space in order to do that. And then, um, you know, living in New York, the apartments are small being, you know, in the bigger house, having moved out, you know, I kind of have to pack everything away and then reset it up. So one day I just, I got up and I made my bed. I took the firmest pillow I had. I put it on my bed. I opened the shade that opens up to my backyard and I set my timer and I sat. And I started doing that regularly, almost every day, (laughs) at least 20 minutes every day. And then it became anywhere between 10 and 20 minutes. And I tried to kind of skew toward the 20 because I know that that's a magic number. At least that's what I'm told. And so what I found was, Making my bed became a ritual because I had to do that in order to put the pillow on the bed, in order to sit with some comfort. And I do believe that setting your space up, making it nice and a little bit neat, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's a practice, not a perfect. Um, but make, creating your space consciously before practicing, for me, is is what I like to do. So the bed making became a ritual, something I never really did before. Like mom, mom would say, make your bed, never did started making my bed and sitting regularly and looking out and watching the seasons change as I'm looking out this window every day, or I'm sorry, not every day, regularly. So all of a sudden I had this thought and I thought, I'm not supposed to practice on my bed, but I'm practicing on my bed (laughs) and I'm showing up. With more regularity than I ever have. And so I decided to call shenanigans on that and, you know, put that aside. And so I get to show up in the way that I set myself up to succeed. That's what it looks like for me. So I'm not here to tell you that you have to show up every day at the same time in the same place. While there may be benefit to that, and I don't dispute that there may be actual benefit to that, if that is what is keeping you from showing up, then find a way to show up that works for you. Yeah.
1: There's so much flexibility in the way that we can have an intentional life. And I really think that when we talk about practices, we have to come to that place of intention. What is our intention for showing up and which practices resonate with us at different times? There's a story to be told uh, about how this podcast, began. It had a beginning. And when you and I started to work together, I was, and if you've listened previously, you'll know that I talked a lot about going through some transitions, going through some health issues that I was working with. You know, we have our (laughs) effudex and our skin surgeries and all of those in in, um, season one. But I really leaned into my practices and they didn't even realize I was doing it when it was happening mm-hmm. so I moved on to the farm and we started the podcast right about that time and I also developed a new practice then which was 30 things about the goddess um, the program that I took that suet Susanna Harwood Rubin was offering now I honestly found two goddesses that I related to at that time, and she offered so many and I will catch up on them. That's not my highest area of expertise, but Lakshmi, she started with Lakshmi because she um, is new beginnings. You and I were starting the podcast. I was starting a new beginning and it just resonated with me to do a practice that included new beginnings um regularly and um and they changed throughout this how long have we been doing this we're almost on 20 weeks 30 weeks whatever it is Uh, and we'll go through this as we talk I've had many transitions in my practice over this time here living on the farm and some that have stayed and some that came at a time where I needed them but then we're replaced by another practice that seemed to fit the timing um, of what was going on in my life. So they're fluid, you know, they can be ritualistic where, you know, you just mentioned almost every day your meditation on your bed, that's that's permanent, that's something that's non-negotiable. And other practices that come into our life are maybe just here for short periods of time when we need them and it's okay for them to
0: organically move along at the right time. I love that you use the word fluid because I started thinking about the fluids in the body. And then I started thinking about, you know I've been having this conversation um, elsewhere about the things that are non-negotiable are actually negotiable, um, which is why I don't sit every day on my mat or on my cushion on my bed, but that there is some sense of practice that is happening. Um, But then this idea of being grounded when all of the other koshas are speaking to each other and it's just a cacophony, this din of, of noise in my body and in my energy and in all the fields that the koshas relate to so that the sitting meditation, even if I can't understand what is being said to me, It's a grounding. It's a way to be grounded. So that's Mm -hmm. earth. So I start feeling like all of these, and if you don't like the word practice and you want to use a different word, that is cool too. Like just whatever you need to use. But this idea that they become embodied and that is what the season is about. It's about embodiment. So what are the things that we do that allow us to show up in our, in our bodies, in our lives, in this world, um, with, with a sense of purpose. And I I think that these practices are a way in, we talk a lot about the senses being the portals that allow us to um, absorb or take in experience. And they're sort of the great translators. You know, we see something, you know, we smell something, taste, all of those feel, touch. I know I can't leave this conversation without talking about touch when you're on the other end of the Zoom. But that there's a sense that our bodies, whether they're talking to us or screaming at us or asking us to to practice, they're asking us to slow down or asking us to, you know, quicken up. What, What do we need activated that has been dormant? You know, that these are the things that are in our blind spots that practice allows, I love your word, illuminate it illuminates these spaces that are in our blind spots. And for me, I think that's one of the most valuable things, even just doing this podcast, working with you, I have experienced so much possibility having reflected back my blind spots, things, shadows, golden and dark, that I get to work with because now I see them. Now I am able to approach them and my practices include them. So there's an inclusion, there's nothing that is left out senses we could go on forever but we're talking about practice as an embodiment yes (laughs) let's not go down the rabbit hole too far (laughs) but
1: but the practice of being connected to your senses is mobile you it can happen anywhere at any time doing any other thing if we're cooking we can tap into the sense of smell and the colors of food Their touch, their texture can be a practice that doesn't take any additional time in our day except adding intention to something that we do most days, that we either eat or prepare a meal, (laughs) hopefully, (laughs) every day, right? Or, you know, being out in the world and noticing the sounds, the sounds of the bird's song can be a practice even the sound of traffic. Here on the farm where I'm living right now, it's an interesting symphony when I sit outside because we're close to Route 1 in Bucks County. So there's this constant whirring of traffic off in the distance with the bird song blended right in. and. I was sitting out on my deck the other day, just being mindful of my senses. At the end of the day, it was 70 degrees and I just wanted to be outside. (laughs) And I began to notice the birds' song at the end of the day. It was like 5.30 or 6 o'clock. And they're kind of, you know, I imagined they were talking about dinner because they're having this call and response of the different birds out there. And I noticed their song. And then also the sound of humans driving at the end of their day at 5 30 or 6 o'clock out on route one and I imagine them doing the same thing they're on their way home deciding what their meal of the end of the day their dinner is going to be and it was a very clear message Mm -hmm. that they were just another part of nature that I was experiencing that we and You know I was looking at the birds and at first I'm like oh I'm sitting out here in this beautiful place in nature but listening to the traffic go by was such an acute reminder Mm -hmm. that our senses are just blending in with what we would consider the animals and we're just one more species just one more part of nature that blended seamlessly into the experience of noticing what I hear
0: So you bring up an interesting question. I hadn't really thought of this until we were talking about this now that when you talked about taking the practice off the mat in the line at the store, when you're in a hurry, that you're able to utilize the fruits of your practice in that moment by breathing, we're talking a lot about creating an intentional life. So listening to the birds and being aware and conscious of the bird song, is that the same as having a practice? So for me, a practice is about sort of almost carving out a certain amount of time to do something with intention. So if I'm outside and I am aware of the bird song and I'm aware of the traffic and I am able to be conscious of my world and the senses as they're coming in, that's intentional moments. Those are like intentional. These are the fruits of practice. This is the ability to absorb and integrate the world around us in a conscious, mindful way, which may not actually be a practice. It's, although we get into some gray area, I mean, there's crossover, Um, but when it happens in the course of our daily lives and we can, we can absorb it, that's a beautiful thing. And it's related to practice, but I don't know if I would call that necessarily a practice. Mm. Except if you're Teresa. (laughs) Right. I mean, right.
1: Because for me, um, over the past a couple of years but really acutely nature became my practice nature bathing became my practice walking outside and tapping into my senses
0: became a
1: practice
0: those were intentional things that you did you went out to nature bathe it was a practice you went out into nature to absorb it but when you're outside in your daily life and you hear the bird song it's a beautiful thing that you get to absorb and take in but my question is, is that is that mindfulness and consciousness of hearing the bird song itself a practice? And I, I don't want to sound like a dick or anything. No. Like I'm not challenging you on your, what, what <laughs> Teresa thinks is a practice, but I'm really curious because if we're offering specific practices to people, and we want to sort of create a container for, a ritualistic something that is you know we're talking about the traditional and the non-traditional and there's a lot of gray area there that to be fairly specific about what we mean about what a practice is and it may be that some people just decide when they leave their door today i am going to uh, i'm going to notice everything or i'm going to notice nature i but that's the intention of the the container is the intention right? Or the intention is the container. I don't know. Emptiness is form, form is emptiness. Mm -hmm. But so I I just had deja vu too. Mm. I'm just really curious about this because, you know, um, can it happen spontaneously and have a moment of awareness? And is that awareness the same thing as a practice? Unless if you don't intend it to be?
1: I don't know, because you said as we started that, you know, when we talked about practices that are offered like yoga and um, you know different practices that we intentionally add to our life one of the things that you had mentioned and I hope I get this right was that that practice is what makes it accessible when we're in moments of stress when we need it then we have practiced it so that we can the Lean online
0: it. at the grocery store frustrated and access and the fruits the of pra- our labor yes. of the fruits of the practice so i see those as fruits they're the fruits of the practice mm-hmm. that when we're in an acute situation we can, and we decide oh god i don't know what to do i don't i don't know how to breathe i don't know how to do it it's the practice that allows us to feel the breath in that moment where we can choose when we're feeling frustrated and say, Right now, I intend to practice. Mm-hmm. I intend to use the breath that I have been practicing all this time, or I intend, I, I have this practice. So, all of us, it's a conscious decision to practice. But when there's like, when I'm at the carnival and I smell, you know, the funnel cake or in the airport and the freaking, you know, Cinnabons and they just take me places, I can be transported. I can feel that and and connect to it but i wouldn't call that a practice i would call that the awareness well that was also i mean you can't really escape the smell of a cinnabon that's a really horrible <laughs> um, situation but if i see um a, an, an earthworm in the ground and i have that experience of oh my gosh like the city girl in me is now like what do i do with the earthworm i can take a breath i intend to use this practice that i've been okay and i notice i've told this story i don't know if on here or just to you that when i first moved here from new york and i started weeding my garden that first earthworm i screamed and ran into the house 20 years later i'm working in my garden i see the earthworm and i breathe and i thank it for all the work it's doing unseen to keep the earth you know for doing its part so i don't know that that was a practice but it came from my practices it was a result of my practice that i was able to respond in that way. I'm gonna
1: say that uh, smelling those cinnabons and wanting to eat one is a pattern. <laughs> it's
0: a manipulation of the senses. It's saying you are it's gonna like, love the smell, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get my essential oil of cinnabon and put it in the thing, so that you just always want to eat sugar.
1: <laughs> Maybe it's a, just our Pavlovian um, conditioning. Right, right, right. <laughs> cinnabons. I'm going that way. Oh my gosh. It's oh like a gosh. good, you know, the scent of coffee. You know, whether you're a coffee drinker or not sometimes the smell of it is just like ah oh, oh, just oof, this pattern of pause to just be okay to stop and smell for a little bit before you move on to the next thing
0: I think maybe we should go into our practices yes let's um, uh, let's yeah. talk about those
1: practices I'm gonna start with farm walks or I'm gonna just say nature bathing became a practice of mine, um, it probably started a couple of years back. It was a slow progression. And if I reflect back, I noticed that a pattern began of when I was feeling stressed or um, when I was feeling confused, that I found myself getting up from whatever I was doing. And actually SIVA was a big part of that practice because, you know, She's a dog and she reads energy. And I would be working for hours at my desk and she would come nudging me on my leg and like poking her nose into me. And I'm thinking, why is she bothering me when I'm trying to work? When Amy from Lead the Way, who was Siva's trainer, um, said, she's noticing your energy change. You're probably getting frustrated. So it did begin with Siva's prompting for me to get up and go and take her for a walk, to go outside with her. But somehow it just began to grow and nature started calling me outside. And I started a pattern. And I think maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe practices begin with patterns if they're not something that's um, specifically offered. But what I noticed was that when I came back from a walk, I felt completely. Completely different. Uh, I, and then it became more intentional that I started making sure that I regularly went out for a walk. Then I started na- studying forest bathing and nature bathing and the healing practices or the healing potentials is a better word of relating to nature. I began videotaping my yoga classes outside and offering them to people who studied with me. During COVID, when a lot of people were inside and their lives had changed because they were working from home and maybe some of their outdoor time or those daily times of just going out, getting in your car and being outside to get from place to place changed, I started offering photographs and pictures of sunsets and um, people had a great response to that. So this practice of embodying nature became very, very important to my own healing journey. And um, so let me tell you about that practice. It's going for a walk and noticing how the landscape beneath my feet changes. If I'm barefoot on a beach, or walking on a muddy farm trail where my boots are getting stuck in the mud or feeling stones beneath my feet and stopping and going, Ooh, I can do a little massage there. Maybe noticing the scent, the difference of the sea air to walking in a pine forest, completely different experiences that come into my mind or noticing what I notice. I love photography. I love taking pictures and capturing these little moments of my day visually and noticing what I noticed and why I paid attention to it and stopped to take a mindful moment of photograph there. So nature bathing, nature walking, whatever you want to label that is my practice. Um, So when you go outside, just simply notice, and it doesn't matter, you can be in a city, or you can be on the beach, or you, nature is everywhere. So pausing to notice when and where it shows up, it can be sitting next to a plant in your own home, or like Sherry mentioned earlier, making her bed, opening the curtains, the window in the right weather maybe, and watching the seasons go by, you know, she's inside, but
0: clearly nature is a part of that meditation. Just saying sea air and pine forest, all of a sudden I had both of them. I knew what you meant. Mm -hmm. I could smell it. I could feel it. I could feel the difference in the humidity of the salty air and the coolness and dampness of being in a pine forest. That was really beautiful. So, I'll just quickly say a few of the things that I practice. I practice yoga and meditation, qigong, intention setting, pranayama, which is breathwork, chanting. Often I'll pull an oracle card before I sit just, you know, to see what's going on. Um, Teaching was a practice for me. When I was teaching for 10 years, every time I showed up, it wasn't about my yoga practice. It was about practicing teaching to offer to the class. So that became a practice in and of itself. Parenting is a practice every fucking day is a practice. And I say that for the laugh, but it's most, you know, it's often quite good. But the most recent practice I brought in is every morning I write something called a daily love drop. And I put a picture and I make a little meme on PicMonkey and then I post it and I'll write a little narrative about it. And what I can say about that is, it is a practice, it's a container, it's a a way that I, this is something I'm doing every day. And the more I write about love and put love out there, the more I see love in the world. And it's an amazing thing how these practices can be self-generating, like love is self-generating. So what I wanted to do today was offer um, a variety of practices. Now we're not going to do each one together now. Um, I will try to put both of the, try, I will put both of the, uh, all of our practices in the show notes, but I wanted to give a variety of options so that in your effort to set yourself up to succeed, that you can maybe, whatever's resonating with you, you it's a menu, a, a poo-poo platter, if you will, of practices. I love the alliteration, a poo-poo platter of practices, <laughs> um, so that you can have your choices. And the first one is the basic um, mindfulness meditation instruction. It's very, very simple, but it's not easy to do. And this could be another whole, you know, sort of talking about the implications of the boredom and, you know, the, the discomfort that comes with it. But basically, there are three instructions. You take your seat. You place your mind on your breath. And when your mind wanders from your breath, say to yourself, thinking, and return to your breath over and over again, how you take your seat is important. You want to sit up nice and tall. If you're sitting on the ground, if you're sitting on a chair, keep both feet flat on the ground and sit far enough in the front so that you're not leaning back and maybe feel like you're having a little tug from the top and grounding from the bottom so that you are sitting with integrity. And then you place your mind on your breath. And when your mind wanders, say to yourself, thinking return to your breath. That's the mindfulness meditation. If you want more, there's a wonderful podcast, Ethan Nickturn. His father, David, was actually my first meditation teacher. But Ethan has a podcast called The Road Home. He also has a book of the same title. And he also wrote, I think, The Dharma of the Princess Bride. <laughs> so if you like that movie, go go get that book. Um, and I, I think he is one of, he brings these practices to a modern thinker. And he is just a wonderful orator. So I would say check out the road home. Basic breathing, you know, sitting up again, taking that integrity, the seat of integrity, long spine, you know, let your hands rest on your legs. And sometimes I would say draw your hands back enough so that your elbows dangle under your shoulders. It gives some um, widening across the, the chest, the heart space. And just notice your breathing first. Notice. And when you're in a moment where you want to activate your parasympathetic nervous system, the more calming part of your nervous system, count your breath. First, equalize. Maybe count in five, out five, in six, in four, whatever, but make the same number in and out. And then slowly begin to extend the exhale. Let the exhale go a little bit longer than the inhale. And see how a few rounds of breath do that. And then, or do that, how few of those breaths do that, how few of those breaths impact and uh, affect you. And then maybe you put one hand on your belly, one hand on your chest. Maybe you put both hands on your belly, both hands on your chest. Maybe you don't touch at all, but by connecting to those two sources where your lungs are and where your belly, then right below the diaphragm, you begin to feel the effects, the physical body and the breath. And there's something about that harmony that, that, isn't, that brings impact. The next thing I want to offer, so we've done the the sitting, mindfulness, we've done breath, now some gentle stretching. Now, we're not going into a big yoga class, but sometimes it's beneficial to move your body in a gentle way, to move through all the planes. So maybe you sit on the ground or on the chair, and you either put your right hand on the ground or your right hand on the seat of the chair, extending your left arm up, sitting up nice and tall, take a deep inhale, and as you exhale, bend over to the right. Just give yourself a nice side stretch and maybe you move a little in and out of it and then linger there for a little while and then come back up and do the same thing on the other side. And you can do that as many times as you like. And then to move through the next plane, you can take your hands on your knees. We're going to do seated cat cow for those of you who know what that is. So your hands on your knees, you're going to take a breath in. You're going to take your shoulders back, lift your chest, let your head move back from the crown, but don't let it just fall. There's a little back bend here. And as you exhale, draw your navel in toward your spine. Let your shoulders round, let your chin drop. So you can feel your spine moving in extension and flexion as you inhale and exhale, allowing that the breath to inspire the movement. Moving up into the back bend and then curling in for that other, for the cat part. And do that as many times as you like. And then the third planes we're gonna go into are just twisting. On the inhale, let your spine get really tall. And on the exhale, twist to your right. So your left hand can rest on your right leg, right hand outside your right hip, or at the base of your spine, wherever your range of movement is. But always, on the inhale, find length. And on the exhale, twist. So maybe there's some some pulsing in the movement and then do it on the other side inhale exhale over to the left so you can move your body in simple ways and wherever you are in that moment all right we're coming to the final one i know we're moving into sound now into chanting and for those of you like oh gosh no not chanting Um, yes chanting you can do something as simple as an om om holds all of the sound it is the primordial sound and going into sort of the there there's a the deity part of it it's made up of four parts ah oh ooh, and wait ah <laughs> a, oh, mm, and then silence so the silence is a part of it and if you look at, at there's I'm not going to get into all of this because it's, it's very visual but these are the four parts and but you don't say aum you say om and within that are all these parts. Now, each one of these is creation, preservation, destruction, and then the silence is that space before creation again. So, if you think about it, everything is in the om. Take a breath in. Oh, that's enough. you know what maybe that is enough enough but you know i do want to kind of take you through the the seed sounds of the chakras this is not a lesson on the chakras but in the the spirit of checking in and seeing where there may be imbalance when you chant these and if you are able to recognize subtle energies better than i can um, you may be able to see which chakra point is um, deficient is excessive is out of balance in some way so from the root And it's a root. I'm not going to go through again. It's not a teaching on the chakras, but just let's say it goes from the tailbone to right um, where your hips hinge to just below your solar plexus, your heart space, your throat, your third eye, and then your crown. Those are the the points on the body where they coincide. So the root one is LAM, L-A-M. LAM, LAM, LAM. You can just chant LAM. Then the next one for Svadhisthana, which is a watery element. And I said it wasn't going to be a teaching, but the watery element that's, you know, that's Vam, V-A-M, and you can Google all of these for more information. And maybe, you know, we might do something on this, too. Vam, you can repeat Vam, 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 or you can and you don't have to sing it. You can just go Vam, 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 Vam. I think it was said that um, the third one for Manipura for your um, fiery place is Ram. Now, Ram is also a deity. So Ram is uh, right at the solar plexus. So maybe for those lower chakras, which are very grounding, you might do a Lam-Vam-Ram, a Ram-Vam-Lam, Vam, Ram, a Vam-Lam-Ram. Vam, Vam, Ram. You can you know, mix them up, but know where they are so that you are you know, intentionally chanting them. And then the heart center is Yam. When my kids were babies, all of them, when they would cry in the cribs, I would lift them out of the cribs, hold them to my chest and chant Yam. From the heart center was and that was a practice it was an intentional way to 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 put that energy of the heart of love and vibration into their little tiny baby bodies and it often worked it often did soothing so if you have young babies at home <laughs> your babies try that yam yum, yum. and then we get into more the the throat chakra is ham h-a-m and then we get up to the third eye is om which we've just covered, and then the crown. Some people go into silence, <laughs> but I I save my silence for the meditation. There is another sound you can use here, which is like ng. Sometimes it's ngg or nng. Mmm. Anyone see Young Frankenstein when the monster he couldn't? Mmm. Mm. Like that's what I always feel like when I do it. It <laughs> makes me giggle, and that makes me connect to my divine energy. Laughing always does that. So. There's a progression from you know groundedness all the way up to divine energy and all of the things in between. So it could be a little something like this Lam Vam Ram Yam Ham Om, mm. (laughs) and then you can burst out in laughter. But you can play with these sounds. And if they're just humming is, is great. So chanting, um, it taps into, again, that parasympathetic nervous system. It helps with anxiety, you know, low levels of anxiety. I'm not a doctor, I'm not prescribing. This is not prescriptive in any way. But play with these things and see what actually works for you. Because if you've ever been in a class, a yoga class or any other class, and the teacher tells you you should be feeling it in one area and you don't, you feel it somewhere else, you're right. <laughs> so you get to decide which of these things actually serve your why.
1: Wow, that was beautiful. And you know that I love vibration entered into the body as a global relaxation response in our muscular, skeletal, fascial system. So, you know, another benefit there is just the body loves vibration. And whether it's this beautiful seed sound mantra that you've given us or just singing and having a great time, there's still vibration that is coming into the body and, you know, bringing that same joy that you get from the young at the end, right? I, the
0: Broadway show tunes so, so, also work. Like, yes. just so you know, Broadway show tunes, rock and roll, your favorite... Bring the vibration, raise the vibration. Raise
1: the vibration. Yeah, yeah right. Maybe a little Grateful Dead uh, would be what you're going yeah. <laughs> to be looking with. And, you know, so you did a beautiful job of many of the practices that I had for breathing and all the senses. So I'd like to add one more practice because I feel that it's really accessible because we eat every day. And, you know... I ha- I started, oh, a few years ago, I guess it was Eat, Pray, Love and um, another book that I read that really started me into an intentional journey of food. I had already started making healthy life choices before that, but this really refocused my energy into building a friendship with my food. And this is, I'm gonna take it from practice to ritual. I think eating was always been a practice of mine because I love to eat. <laughs> so, you know, taking the time to notice while I was eating um, has always been something that fascinated me that I love so much. But this past year, that now that I've been on the farm, um, and in previous years also, I have been part of the CSA. And so my food that I um, consume has been I'm going to say 75% from within a mile from where I was living at the time. So eating local, eating seasonally um, became something that was a friendship and a relationship that I was developing, which I believe has turned more ritualistic because not only is it a practice, but I pick up my CSA order. Bring it home, and I know that the day that I pick that up, I've cleared my schedule for the time after. It comes into my home and I clean it all. I wash everything. I, you know, I'm able to notice all the different scents of the different foods. It's seasonal, so I start to imagine what are the different tastes of the season. What type of meals can I make with this seasonal? bounty that has been harvested and shared with me. When I came to the farm in October of last year, I signed up for their winter CSA. I got 15 to 17 pounds of vegetables every week. So the ritual and the practice grew. Not only was I cleaning, preparing, and you know storing it in the correct places, whether it stayed out or went in the refrigerator, but I also started meal planning and knowing that there was too much food for me. So some of it went to feed the rabbits or the goats on the farm because it was the parts that I wasn't going to eat. But I made broths and soups and froze them so that they would last long beyond the time that I would be receiving my CSA. And my body started to notice I would pick up the food and go through the process of cleaning it, and my mouth would water, and I could start to taste. Of course, I was nibbling while I was cleaning, so that's another reason. <laughs> but this relationship of knowing exactly where my food came from in my walks, being able to pass the greenhouses filled with my meal from the next day, passing Cluckingham palace and, you know, stopping and pausing and thanking the chickens for laying the eggs that were going to be my breakfast became part of my food relationship, passing the farmers on my walk. And taking a moment to stop and be grateful for the time and energy and effort they put into planning, planting, picking, harvesting, and preparing them for me became part of my friendship that I developed with food. So I really love talking about this as a practice and or ritual because it's one of the things we get to do two or three times. I eat three times a day, sometimes five. I like little meals, but we get to do it every day, multiple times. So adding the intention and, um, and I like labeling it my food friendship. As, I love that.
0: And yeah. you brought up when you said Cluckingham Palace, I thought, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Which came first, mindful living or practices that allowed us to live mindfully? Mm. You know, so in one way, you know, we have these formal practices that we've offered that allow us to live a more mindful life. And then we have these mindful moments with in the courses of our day where we get to utilize the fruits of those practices. So this mindful living and the practices are inextricably connected. You know, that um, would you, if you looked back, have been able to live as mindfully as you do now had you not been formally practicing other things like mindfulness Mm. and breath and yoga and the things that ask the questions of us to make those choices. Like you said, you made the healthier life choices for food that you were eating more healthful foods. And so, you know, would that have been a choice you'd made if you had been continuing without having done any of the practices? Mm, Yeah, I am hoping that maybe um,
1: some of our listeners will write in, you know, we're loving getting your comments. We're loving hearing your stories. Thank you so much for sending them in. But we're really, I am really looking forward, I'm not speaking for Sherry, but I bet she's looking forward to, to hearing what your practices are, you know, either formally or things that you've noticed are just subtle practices and or rituals that are part of your most
0: of the time (laughs) practices. Next week, we're gonna be talking with Giselle Mogan, who is going to be with us from Thailand. She is a practitioner of the highest levels. She is someone whose practices have not only informed her, but have helped her in so many ways that I will not speak of because they are all after the because when they come out of my mouth. So when you tune in next episode, Giselle is one of those teachers, one of those practitioners who will take this idea of practices and elevate it in a way that um, we just can't even name yet. Thank you for joining us today. If you like what you heard, please click the like and follow buttons
1: and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen. These ratings help our grassroots podcast to become more visible to more people so we can include more stories. Written reviews are like stars on steroids. If you're so moved, please write a five star review on Apple
0: podcasts. We are just getting started. So if there's something you'd like us to cover, please email us at anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. Tell us your stories. We'd like to thank our editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our music, and Cindy Fattis for our photos.